Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. today. Parker is the it songwriter in Nashville right now. I mean, you have blown up. You are literally like the it girl songwriter. How does that feel to have worked so hard, put in so many years, gone through trials and tribulations and all the feelings, all the experiences, and now to be sitting in Nashville as one of the hottest songwriters in town. You have you and Russell Dickerson came up together. I think, what, we got three number ones together? Is it three or four? We have four. We, we just got our fourth together like last week. Oh my God. Did you write his whole Which first album? Which is wild. Album? What a thing. Did you, write, did you write the whole first album with him? I had nine songs. Yeah, I had nine songs on that first one. So I think there were two songs that I wasn't on. But really like him and me and Casey Brown did almost all of his stuff together. So it's, it's been a really fun like ride. I was talking to someone last night saying that it's like most songwriters have, you know, they grind it out, they get a single, it, it stops in the 50s, then they get another single and it stops in the 40s and eventually they get one that goes. That, I mean, we all were grinding it out for a long time, but when we had singles that went, they all went. Like I didn't know what, that that was not like a normal experience. So what is that like? Because when you kind of, I don't really know your full songwriting story. I just picked up on some of it with Russell because I know that 
he put he just took a leap of faith on himself like when he was writing he didn't have a record deal he didn't have like any really huge team behind him yet and i know that's where you and him linked up songwriting so what was that like meeting with russell and yes yeah and y'all creating y'all's musical magic so we've been friends for like forever like him and Kaylee and Casey and his wife, my husband and I, there's like a handful of us that all went to Belmont together. We've been friends for a long time. I had just had a pretty significant vocal injury that made me take like two and a half years off of writing. And so when it came back into writing, I was like, everything's different. I don't know what I'm doing. So I called Casey and I was like, Hey, will you write with me? I'm like just getting back into this. We had never written together, but we were really good friends. And he, he was like, this is in the f- like front of the like track wave in Nashville. Before and he's a really great, great producer and writer. And so I was like, this is, it was like right at the beginning of that, like starting to be a thing. And he was really good at that. He was a producer in Christian music and a writer. And so I was like, this is great. I can't sing a lot. Casey's really melodic we'll just start working together. And so we started writing and we clicked really well. We were working with some other friends of ours that were artists and just kind of writing a bunch. Then Casey asked Russell to write with us. And the second song we wrote together was yours. And the third song was Blue Tacoma. And then we just kept writing. I mean, every little thing was not long after that. Like we just had this like magic thing and none of us really had anything going on like I didn't have a publishing deal obviously I hadn't been writing at all I thought when I before my vocal injury I thought I was going to be an artist and that's kind of the route I was taking and then everything shifted when I couldn't vocally support that anymore so I wasn't sure like what my future was going to look like Casey was doing Christian music and he was doing really well in that space and then Russell had uh, had recorded a bunch of songs he had a publishing deal that kind of fell through and none of his label things panned out and he had just signed i think with bmg and daryl franklin had signed him it was like a jv with daryl and bmg and we wrote yours he turned it in and daryl was also working with jeffrey Steele at the time just kind of like i don't know if it was like a consulting basis or kind of what the deal was when they first started doing stuff with three ring circus but steel is a massive songwriter huge songwriter and bmg that's was that a record label or publishing company just to clarify for people who don't understand it's a publishing company yeah he was on the publishing side okay so russell Um, just signed a publishing deal nothing more he was trying to get a record deal yeah get one but signed a publishing deal turned in yours was being consulted by jeffrey steel who's a big songwriter okay Yeah. So Daryl is, is working with Daryl is Russ's publisher at the time. Daryl's also kind of working on the side with this thing with Jeffrey Steele. Jeff was like my hero. I would go and see him play, play the bluebird when I was like in college. And he's just always been a hero of mine. I remember saying this was like years before this, I went to see Jeff play a solo round at the Bluebird just by himself playing for like three hours, nothing but hits. And he was just so great. And I went with my roommate and we were talking about it. And I was like, man, I just want to like meet him one day. Like I don't even have to write with him. I just want to like talk to him about songwriting. And like, I just think he's like so great. His songs are so great. Anyway, so Jeff hears yours and he's like, who's on this song? I have to, he had written with Russell. He kind of knew Russell. He's like, who else is on this? And so 
that led to me getting a deal with Jeff. I like literally they offered me a deal. I think the day after I had my vocal surgery. So I still wasn't all the way back yet. Uh, and that kind of led into like everything that ended up happening. I kept writing with Russell and Casey and, um, it took goodness. Russ still didn't have a record deal at this time. So it took years for it to like finally go. Like we thought, when he had like all these crazy numbers, when he released the song, like people were streaming it. And this is like right on the front end of like Spotify really being something that was a tool to break artists. And he had gotten all this love from XM and it just, everything was like, seemed like it was moving in the right direction. But then labels were all like, nah, we're like, we're never going to get terrestrial radio if we don't have that. So we're like, what, what's going to happen? And so Russ and his management, ended up like starting their own little label. Then they met Norbert Nix, who used to be in radio promotions and a bunch of other things. He was wanting to start something with 30 Tigers and this whole like weird thing formed around Russell and he was the flagship artist for this, but it was in the Sony system. So they had, you know, funding to do stuff at radio. And then when yours went to radio, it, it went just worked. Well, and so the thing for everyone listening, when you're an artist, uh, artists try to get major label deals because major label deals have tons of money. They have tons of influence. They can really push a song through. It's exciting when you have a new label come up, like what you're talking about that formed around Russell and especially because they're associated with a major label. But there's also this fear when you're a new artist what if they don't have the manpower to do it? What if they don't have the clout to get it through? What if it doesn't, you know, what if the team's not in place enough? You know, there's so many variables with being the first on a new label, which also can be the biggest blessing because they want it to work more than ever. There's more incentive to make it go. Like there's so much more um, drive to get it working because they don't want to fail because there's just more at stake. So, I mean, with any kind of record deal, there is a pro and a con to anything. And you just have to kind of trust your gut. And I feel like go with what, what finds you and what works for you and what feels like home and where the people believe and where the fit is. But something that I find so amazing, I want, there's so many things I want to talk about. Um, one, your faith is huge. And so is it in the faith of Russell and Kaylee, his wife is huge as well. And that plays a really big part. I feel like in your story and in Russell's and Kaylee's, and I feel like that's a huge part of y'all's journey, which is amazing. Yours was like the little song that could y'all wrote this song and y'all just always believed in it. Like it led you to your publishing deal before the song even had legs. It got you a publishing deal with your hero, Jeffrey Steele, who wrote like every Rascal Flat song. He wrote so many huge songs. He was like, I mean, he probably, I don't even know the number of number ones he has. It's almost. Oh, he, I don't, I think he has like 18, something like that. He has like their Three Rings office is wild because you walk in and it's just like wallpapered with BMI awards. It's insane. It's just like all like plaques and certificates everywhere like he has you new know, the little cups they get yeah most people don't know this the little cups they get they're literally everywhere like he could have a dinner party like for like 40 people and just <laughs> drink out of those cups it's wild <laughs> but I think it's so amazing because I interviewed Russell before yours became a number one it was on the charts it was like in the 30s and he was talking about how 
even with the music video, Kaylee, his wife, is a music video director, and she shot that video. Y'all had no budget for the video. She was, like, in the back of a car filming him walking down an old farm road, and then all of a sudden it started raining, and it, whereas it could have been like, oh, shoot, now it's raining, the whole video's ruined. Instead, y'all, they just went with it and just recorded him in the rain and made this epic video and just followed the life of this song. And I think that is what, and I'm, I'm either about to start my period or pregnant. I think I'm about to start my period. <laughs> but I'm like really emotional because what you have done and what Russell has done is in particular, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on your journey with Russell right now because there's so much faith involved with it. Y'all trusted your talent. You trusted your musical connection. You trusted this song that felt so special and so powerful because it was like, years like five or seven years after y'all wrote it before you yeah, made it to the radio i think it was like four or five years to the day from when we wrote it that it went number one which is also wild that like everybody gives from, up like, on songs once you wrote a song and if it's been in the system for like a year or two people are like give me a new one give me a new one but this one y'all like knew it was magic yeah, I think there was something in the room. We knew that it was like something really special, but obviously we had no avenue for it to be heard by anyone really. So we like, we just believed in it a bunch. I remember bringing home the work tape to my husband who also works in the music industry and him being like, wait, I think this is really special. There's like something about this song. And the, what's cool about it is that like, it was such a like non-event writing it. It was like just friends like hanging out writing a song and it could have gone a ton of different ways and thankfully this is the way that it went but the journey for that song was really like it was long and it taught all of us I think so much about just believing and following where like the passion is so like for that song specifically it was like everyone that heard it was like there's something about this song there's something about this song and that's what kept opening doors even like for Russell I think especially like with him like having this label form around him it was like everyone was so passionate I think that if someone else had offered him a deal all the people who were like well yeah we'll wait if you get offers let us know we'll jump on something or whatever which is a very common thing in Nashville it's a very like music row thing it's like once you get a little bit of heat then everyone comes to the table and Russ just like him and Kaylee both just believed so much that God was going to open the right doors and it was going to be the right team that it kind of like gave Casey and I, Casey's the other car writer, um, gave us a lot of like faith to be like, okay, we shouldn't pitch this song. We should continue to hold this for Russell. Obviously we wrote it for Russell, but when all these doors were shutting and you know that you have a song that's special as a songwriter, that's really challenging doesn't matter if it's your best friend in the world you look at it and you're like I know this song could do something I want the song to get the life it deserves but it like it had to be Russell it couldn't have been in hindsight it couldn't have been anyone else that cut that song and thankfully anytime other publishers and whatever pitched it like other artists knew Russell and were like no this is his like we can't so it ended it was just a really wild ride the whole thing was so to get heat on a song, because that's the dream. Like all the songwriters who are in Nashville, they write songs every day. You're obviously one of them. You wake up and you write songs every day. And the dream is to get them cut either by you want to co-write with an artist. So that artist will record them and put them on their album. Or you want to write with, another, with an artist in mind and you pitch it to him. Or you just write a song that is magic and you're like, oh, this sounds like 
whoever, and then uh, Thomas Rhett, and you send it yeah. to him, and you pray that he hears the magic that you wrote in the song. But with yours, especially, you guys not having really anything going team, yeah. for this song to have so much heat behind it. That is like what every songwriter dreams of is to have a song that has this momentum, that has this energy, that has this excitement, that has people wanting it, that has this like vibe that's like, let me have that. Let me hear that. Let me be a part of this song. How, how, what was it about yours? Why was that song so special? Why was that song something y'all hung on to for five years? Why was that song the song that launched Russell's career, your songwriting career, created the label experience for Russell when nothing was there, when everyone had turned him down. Why was yours that song? What was it? I don't, I mean, I don't want to like over spiritualize whatever. I'll get real woo woo and like, I love the woo-woo. if you let me. I love uh, the woo woo. <laughs> but I, I think there's just something on that song. Like, I think it's anointed. Like, I don't think it's any better than any other song. There's so many great songs floating around Nashville. And I just think it was like perfect timing for that song. Like, I think we knew it was great. Like we had checked all the boxes and maybe it was because it was the first time the three of us had written something that was like, oh, this sounds like a hit song. It also feels like it has a heart behind it. It had all of these things going for it. But on top of it, I just think it was like one of those things that was meant to be. Like, I feel like God just like put his hand on it and was like, this is the one, this is going to go. Because that song... I, I, like I've had other songs that have gone with them and they've all been special in different ways, but I just don't know if there will be something like that song again in my catalog. I mean, I hope there is, and that would be awesome. But I, I and then part of me kind of hopes there isn't just because it was so like such a happening that like, I feel like that that song had like its own like self, mm -hmm, if that makes mm -hmm, any sense, mm -hmm. like people would hear it and be like, I mean, obviously it doesn't sound like a Christian song, but people would hear it and be like, oh no, this is a CCM song. And we got that feedback a lot when Russ was taking label meetings and people were like, no, it sounds like a Christian song. That sounds like whatever. And sonically it doesn't. And lyrically really it doesn't. The only thing that's like faith-based in the whole song is thank God I'm yours, which is such a like normal saying that people, whether they believe in God or not say, oh, thank God, whatever. It's just such a, like there was nothing really like faith about it but I think that there was like when you bring people together that are carrying the same spirit it's like it amplifies and it's in what's created I think it like to be like maybe it's overly spiritualizing it I think that's a mirror of what God does in us it's like he creates us and puts his spirit in us and different parts of God's personality are in every person and I think that when we create we're mimicking that creation like and so part of us is in that song and part of the spirit we carry is in that song. And for some reason that was just the, and it was a, about real love. And that was, you know, at the time kind of a unheard of thing to be doing in country music when everything at the time was hookup songs and party songs. And it, there weren't a lot of like long-term commitment love songs. And that was very much where Russell was at in his life. You know, we had all just gotten married within six months of that song being written. It was just kind of a, a timing thing. And I don't know. I will tell you that song, like I know how you said it's not a, it wasn't written as a Christian song. It doesn't have any kind of like indication that it's a Christian song, 
but you feel God in that song. Like you feel God in that song. You feel God in the music video. Like when I'm watching that video and just like you, you can feel Russell meaning every single thing that he's saying. And I know that you and Spencer, your other co-writer, is that what you said? No, Casey. My husband, Spencer. Yeah. You and Casey felt it too. Like you said, all three of y'all were so pure at heart, it seems, when you wrote it. Like you weren't writing mm -hmm. it to chase a radio single. You weren't writing it to do anything other than to write the truth on your heart that y'all all three aligned with. And Russell meant it so much when he sang it. And it's just like you can feel that power. Nothing about it feels fabricated at all. I really think it, it was like with – Russell and Casey and I specifically, this was kind of the song that like solidified our writing little trio because the first one we did was kind of like, oh, we'll like shoot for radio stuff, whatever. It's like, I think it was like, call it a night or something like you're looking too good to call in a night, which was such a normal, like average, whatever was happening at the time at country radio. And when Russ came in with the title yours, he was like, kind of wanting to take it in a direction like that, where it's like, I don't want to kiss any other lips if they're not yours. I don't want to whatever if they're not yours. We started talking about it and I was like, I mean, I don't think you would actually say that to Kaylee though. Like, I think, like, I think what you would say is something that's like weightier than that. Like your love is bigger than talking about some other random girl that you don't want to kiss anymore. Like that's not you. And so I think a lot of, especially beginning writing with Russell was Casey and I being like, no, we know you it doesn't matter what a hit song is like you're the artist and you need to tell your story. Like that's, and I think that like we've always kind of come from this place of like our faith is obviously really important to us. So we know that like Russ has certain things about him that he's going to be drawn to topically, but also keeping him kind of in the parameters of who he is and letting him explore things outside of that. But I think that was really like, I don't know. I think that's why the three of us worked as well as we did. And I think yours is where we started figuring that out. So how does that start your career as a hit songwriter? And now I feel like you've had four number ones with Russell. You just released Thomas Rhett's new single, which is so amazing. Oh my gosh. I want to hear about that because you also signed to his publishing company, Home mm -hmm. Team. So now you're in the Thomas Rhett camp as well, which is also kind of the Russell Dickerson camp. You all mm -hmm. kind of work. It's all kind of a big family, which is amazing about country music is everyone sort of finds this, this like natural musical family that they gravitate towards. Um, well, how did that start you as a songwriter though? Because I feel like you are this very intentional person. You are this faith, faith driven person. You are, like you said, I'll get all woo woo, woo, -woo on you in two minutes. Like you are so centered by, your soul and what you feel your soul is here to accomplish, which is your connection to God. How did that validate you? And how did that start your career as a songwriter? Because now you have a hit, a number one song and it was written from your authentic place. And you have four number one songs also with Russell that are written from an authentic place. You didn't confine or conform to try to be something else to try to get a hit on the radio. You wrote what was in your heart with people who aligned with that. So how does that shape your career as a songwriter? Because I don't feel like you have to chase. You've come in saying, this is me. I'm doing it this way. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I mean, my artist thing before that, I, I think was a really eye-opening thing for me. Like, I, I feel like I really was like chasing something and doing that. Like I'm, I'm from Nashville. My parents met at the Bluebird. 
I am like a Nashville baby. Destined to be a musical songwriter singer. You had no choice. (laughs) And it yeah, and so I kind of grew up in that space. I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something in country music. And I really I honestly felt like God spoke to me when I was really young. It was like, you're going to change the sound of country music. And so, and I, at that point, it's like nineties. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I love country music. I'm going to do that. But it became kind of this place that I kept coming back to through my vocal stuff, like taking that time off also really centered me to be like, I can live without this, where I feel like a lot of people in Nashville are like, it's this or nothing. When I came back into writing after taking that much time off, because I had to kind of gave me a different perspective. A, I appreciate it different. So like coming with gratitude every day changed it. I don't like, even though I have like a lot of things that I've achieved, I don't go in with like a lot of goals. Like I hold it pretty open handed where I'm like, the goal today is to connect with who I'm with and write the best song for that person. So if it's with an artist, it's like, how do I put on their skin today and be that character and help them tell their story in a way that maybe they haven't felt like they were able to be honest enough to, or without someone being like, this is who you are. This is what you sound like. Like giving someone space in a room to be who they are kind of changed everything for me. I think Russell is, is kind of where I learned that. So that kind of coming out of that into having this hit, I've always kind of been like, I don't make decisions based on like, this looks good on the outside, or this is the most money, or this is the whatever. Like when I took my deal with three ring, I didn't even really meet with a lot of other people. And as soon as Jeff called me, I knew in my gut that that was was where I was supposed to, that was, that was the one for lots of reasons, but he had also had a vocal injury. So it was the safest place for me to be after having surgery and whatever. Like he really like helped me be able to walk the path again to writing a hit song. Like what he would say to me is he's like, you, you'll find yourself in a hit song. So there's like only so many ways in a love song that you can do it. And you found the way to a hit song. That's the most you. And now, you know, that with a love song, we have to get you to a place where you can find that in a breakup song where you can find that whatever, where like, you're not afraid to tell your truth and get into that idea from different ways. Like he'll tell, like, call it climbing up on the ladder and looking down at it and seeing the whole thing. Wow. So he really like mentored me through a bunch wow. of like, and it was as I was relearning my physical voice, I was also finding myself and my voice as a writer. And he really was so pivotal in that. So I'm in this deal. Yours is had its whole like run at XM hasn't gone to radio yet. Russ doesn't have a record deal. And my option is coming up. I'm, they wanted to pick it up and they're like sitting down with me. They're like, do you want to pick it up? And I just really felt like I wasn't supposed to stay at three ring, which was really a unbelievable because of how much I still love Jeff. I still talk to him almost every week. Um, but I asked out of my deal and Jeff is the kindest human and let me out of my deal a year early. So now I have no, why did you want to get out of your deal a year early? There were some various reasons with just like administrative things, my calendar, stuff like that. And I felt like I was never going to, at some point I would have been so dependent on Jeff that I would have never like stood on my own two feet. Like if I was stuck in an idea and he was there, I would go and be like, I'm stuck. I don't know what's happening. How do I get out of this idea? 
this is the title, this is all the things that don't work, what door is the one that opens? And I feel like in a lot of ways, it was like, it's like leaving your parents' house, you know, when you, when it's time to go, sometimes it's just time to go. And it's not like any hard feelings. It was just time for me to leave that deal. Knowing that I was going to nothing. Like that's insane. You asked out of your deal a year early to go to nothing. Wow. Parker, you're crazy. That's crazy. Oh my God. But this Uh, is, but I felt that that was what I had to do. So then this is like two weeks later, Russ is like, Hey, I'm signing a record deal. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And so he ended up within like a very short amount of time of me leaving three ring signs this deal with the whole team that formed around him, which is also that wild story of just following where like passion is and open what door opens. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit for a minute. I'm just going to see what happens. Like I have the luxury of time. I'm I'm not in a deal right now. I don't want to look for a deal. If this is going to go, we'll just see what happens. So Casey also leaves his deal because he wants to work now in country music. So he's like, his like deal was over and he was like, I'm not going to resign it. I'm just going to hang out. So now we're like all three, just like chilling. <laughs> no, like I'm keeping Casey and my calendar both, like just emailing my friends and calling my friends being like, Hey, do you want to write? Or like my friends that worked in publishing, whatever, trying to figure out who could write with Casey and I. So we spent a year and a half doing that yours is top 10 and publishers start like being like, what's happening? What are you doing? So I start taking meetings and I'm like pretty convinced that I'm going to go with this one company and like pretty confident in that. And out of nowhere, Thomas Rhett texts Russell and goes, what's Parker doing about publishing? And Russ screenshots it and sends it to me. He's like, should I give him your number? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I'll hear him out. At this point, I didn't know like really that home team was a thing. I think they had like maybe one writer. It was a pop writer. And you and just never know. Home team is Thomas Rhett's like brand. It's his everything, but it's also yeah. his publishing company. Yeah. So, uh, and meanwhile, uh, Leslie at BMI, who's been my rep since I was like 17 years old, was like, you should meet with G Major. I think you and Virginia would really get along. Virginia is Thomas Rhett's manager. Her management company is G Major. And so I've taken all these meetings. I'm like pretty confident I'm going to go with this one company and Thomas Rhett and Virginia show up in my life. And so I, I've been texting with TR a little bit at this point. I uh, met with Virginia and I left the meeting and I called Spencer and I was like, I, I don't even know if they're going to offer me something, but this is where I'm going to be. Like, this just feels like what I'm supposed to do. And so, and Spencer's like, okay, well, we'll like look and see if they like send us whatever, we'll sort it out. So then they send me out on the bus to write with Jesse Frazier and Thomas Rhett. And Jesse and- Frazier produces a lot of Thomas Rhett stuff. He's an incredible songwriter. He won Songwriter of the Year maybe a year or two ago. He writes a Thomas Yeah, Rhett it was album. last year. He's an amazing yeah, he's- songwriter. He's very much and in the he- Thomas yeah, Rhett camp. he's so great. And, yeah, and he's just a wonderful person. He's been so, like, talking about people, like, surrounding me that are like, this is what you should do next. Like, anytime I have a question, it's like, I'll text Jesse or Jeff Steele. Like, those are my people I ask because Jesse, I feel like no, he's so like hustles so hard, works so hard. And he just knows so much about the music industry because he's worked on so many sides of it. 
but so I go out and I write with them and I honestly don't even remember what we wrote. It was fine. It wasn't like a great song, but TR liked the experience, I guess. And they offered me a deal. This is like two weeks before the ACMs. And now I'm like, I thought I was going with this one company. We're not like, I haven't accepted anything yet. Cause I was kind of waiting to see what other offers would come in. And now I have to like make a decision. So now I'm like, okay, do I sign with this team that ha- home team that has no song plugger? They don't have any other writers. And like, I guess I could take a risk that I might get to go out and write with Thomas Rhett sometimes, but like, I'm basically going to keep my own calendar probably. And this is, and no one's going to be pitching my songs. This is what it's going to be. So I'm like, worst case scenario, this is what I'm signing up for. <laughs> Best case scenario, they hire someone and it, and it starts working. And then the other one was a safe bet. And they, they've built like massive writers careers. It was another independent company. And I had great friends there. I was like, this is awesome. Maybe I should just do this. And I just couldn't shake that I knew that I was supposed to work with Virginia and Thomas Rhett. So I was like, I guess I'm just going to do this. So I have to call everyone. I remember sitting in my hotel in Vegas for the ACMs on a balcony. And I had to start calling people because I was going to see them that week. We got there like a day early. And so I'm like, hey, I made a decision and it's not you guys. And I'm really sorry, but like, love you guys. Love. And I know I don't have to like pick up a phone and call everyone. My attorney could have done a lot of that stuff by just declining offers. But I felt like I developed all these personal relationships with these people who had been setting me up with their writers and doing all this stuff that I was like, I'm going to have to call everyone. But it ended up being like, everyone was so cool about it and everyone was chill. And Thomas Rhett was the perfect publishing partner. It was cool to go from like having this dream situation where Jeff was mentoring me and then walk into this scenario where it's like, okay, now you're in the deep end. This is a big recording artist that is now going to start taking chances on you. You got to like learn to swim. And that's what you set yourself up for though. You obviously, your soul knew that's what you wanted because you left your deal with Jeff to be independent and ready to go to the deep end. I mean, you were ready to jump, even though no one's ever really ready to go to the deep end. You were ready to go to the deep end. Well, I think the thing for me is always like, I'm so like in tune with what, like, I feel momentum before things start happening, which makes me seem like a crazy person all the time. I'll be like, oh, something's shifting around me. Like a couple months ago, I was like, oh, I feel like a shift is happening. Like, I'm going to sound like probably insensitive when I say this, but when coronavirus started and everything was shutting down and people were like panicked, I was like, I don't feel like this is for me. I don't know how to explain that but this year has been the exact opposite experience that for me than it has been for a lot of other people. And I think it's just, I've planted seeds and when winter came for some reason I was able to harvest all of it, you know? And, and that was like a timing thing completely, but I have this like weird, I don't know if it's like a gut thing or it's just, I can hear the Holy spirit and it, and it kind of guides me where I like, feel when momentum is happening and I act before motion starts. And so that's kind of how I've treated almost everything in my career. Most things in my life, I kind of treat that way where it's like, I'm not making a decision based on what my draw is going to be. I'm not making a decision on like any financial thing. Like I left a lot of money on the table with offers that I had before I signed home team. My deal wasn't like a crazy great deal. It wasn't a bad deal. It just wasn't like 
you know, someone who had a number one and a bunch of singles probably coming out. But you it, weren't blinded by the immediate money. You were blind. You were, you, exp- you saw the full picture. You saw the whole, what, this exactly. off- what this could offer, how this could shape you, the opportunities, the when you roads. You can renegotiate a deal, but you can't change your team very easily. And so when I looked at it, I was like, okay, well, we have Rock Nation partnered. We have Warner Chapel partnered. And then I have Rhett and Thomas Rhett in Virginia. I just don't see a scenario where that's not going to be great for me. Like Virginia is not going to take an L. She's so badass, And she's <laughs> always like doing stuff behind the scenes. She's just so great. And like, she's just so supportive of whatever I, I am wanting to do. So if that's like TR has his you know, bus rides booked out. And I'm like, I kind of want to go out this weekend. She's like, great. We'll make room for you on the rider bus. You can go. Like, it's so rare that I get like, we hit a wall because she's so good at problem solving. And Thomas Rhett has been such a great publishing partner and friend and just supportive of what I'm doing all the time. It's just been so great. And they're like-minded people. And I think that was the big thing for me is like, I wanted to work with a team that cared like I cared about everything, the whole picture, whether I was involved in it or not, I wanted to be a part of something that was doing something good. And I mean, Thomas Rhett and Lauren are always, have their hands in something awesome. They're always like helping people and doing kind things. And I just think they're really great people. So to align myself with someone who A, believes in me and B, is a great person, that's gonna like elevate what I do too. Amen. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Gosh, okay, so I have so many things and some of this is going to involve backtracking because you have said so much stuff that I just want to dive a little deeper into. First off, it's I don't I don't know how to spiritually say it at the same place, but it's like manifesting and your spirituality. It's kind of going hand in hand. Like I feel like you are a manifester, but it's a spiritual manifester because it's almost like you said like you feel the Holy Spirit, you sense momentum before it comes. Like you obviously are very clear about what feels right to you and what feels wrong to you and what your goals are and what you're not mm-hmm. willing to do. And so the fact that you got your first publishing deal with your like not I'm not idol because that's not the right word for this, but like Jeffrey Steele. Yeah, but like a hero. Yeah. Hero. Jeffrey Steele, who you had put as a hero, as someone that you admired more than almost anyone in the music industry. You only just wanted to meet him and maybe one day write with him. And then he hears your song, 
before anything's happening and he signs you. And so then not only are you signed with him, your hero, you are now his, he's mentoring you. So it's like you are now getting mentored by the man that you looked up to so much and he's teaching you how to tap into this well of magic, which is songwriting, and it involves so much of it is like listening to your soul and tapping into you, and he's teaching you that, and he's showing you how to do that, and like like you said, almost like as a parent, like he's giving you your legs and like guiding you, and then your spirit leaves. I mean, you leave, which is amazing and crazy at the same time because like no one in their right mind does that. You know, everyone's like so many people in, in, in the entertainment industry, a lot of people don't have this, but a lot of people have a mindset of scarcity where they're like, oh my gosh, I got something and I can never lose this. Like I've got to hang on to it. I just got to get this. I got to get this. But yours is like abundance. Yours is like, okay, I'm going to walk away. I don't have any hits on the radio. I don't have any success yet, but I know it's time for me to go, even though I have manifested being at a publishing company with like my hero, but I'm, I'm going to leave a year early peace because I'm listening to my spirit. I mean, that's just so crazy, but I, but I get it. I get it. But it takes this bold faith that it takes this faith that is so bold that you are not scared of losing money. You're not scared of leaving money behind. You're not scared of leaving an opportunity. You trust your intuition and your gut and what is inside of you, which has got so much that you're willing to make these gigantic moves when they might seem crazy to someone else. So how do you know when the Holy Spirit is guiding you? How do you feel that momentum before it's actually rolling? What is it? Like, what does it feel like? I want to like know that experience. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's, I think it starts with like small things. So like I've, I, my vocal injury was a, so no. much silence. So what so was your vocal injury? I had two massive polyps, like enormous ones. But because I couldn't really speak or sing or do anything, I spent a lot of time quiet. And you before that, removed surgically removed. Well, it's that this story is wild. They both went away miraculously. At, uh, around the time I went back to writing, about four months later. So this had been right after we had written Blue Tacoma the left side came back twice as big. And I was like, I'm not doing this again. Just cut it off. <laughs> but I, so you were actually, it's couldn't wild. Speak. They were so big. You actually couldn't even talk it. I mean, I could, but it was very painful and it sounded like, you know, like glottal fry. Like, uh, it was like very like dry and tense. Like you could, when I spoke, you could hear that something wasn't right. And when I sang, especially there were gaps in my range and all kinds of stuff. But when that, um, vocal stuff started, this was like right in the beginning, this, I went home, my parents at the time were living in Michigan and I was still on their insurance. This was like seven years ago. Um, I went home, I'd been kind of having some vocal stuff happen. I've been writing with Danny Rader who plays for Keith Urban. This is around the time Keith had his vocal thing. And Danny was like, Parker, you got to get that checked. Like, this is not, your voice is doing what Keith's was doing. You need to go get that checked. So I go home for Christmas, get it checked. They use like a scope that's not as advanced as what Vanderbilt will have, but it's like just some ENTA has a thing that he sticks up your nose, goes down your throat. And he's like, I'm pretty sure you have like either nodes or polyps or something. I'm going to refer you to Vanderbilt voice when you get back to Nashville. Until then, total vocal rest, two weeks. Don't clear your throat don't speak, 
silence is what you're doing. And we're going to put you on acid reflux medication and a very heavy steroid for two months. And then you're going to go to Vanderbilt voice and you're going to figure out what's happening. So I do all this. I'm like totally silent for two weeks and then kind of like, I can't talk to someone who's further than an arm length away. I can't speak very loud. I can't go to loud places. So I'm like isolated. I get back to Nashville. This is going on for a couple of months. Um, I start sort of regaining a little bit of stuff, but I go to Vanderbilt voice and they scope and I have two polyps. Then I go to CC Winan's house for this like discipleship ministry school and, (laughs) and get like wrecked by the Holy Spirit. Like I had never, I was not raised in like a charismatic church where people were like, Holy Spirit, we're like doing crazy stuff, healing people, doing what, laying hands on people, whatever. It was very, like I was raised in a more tame church environment where that was not the thing. So what happened when you got wrecked by the Holy Spirit? What goes on? I got, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit is what they would call it. Like charismatics would call it. Basically it's like you, you ask when you're praying for just more of the Holy Spirit, you're like, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, the, my whole body was like tingly. And I had like, my throat felt like fire and I hadn't sang in four months, start singing. And I'm singing in tongues, which is also wild because I was not done this before. Oh no, this is so wild. It it, like, I can't believe when I hear myself tell the story, I'm like, that is, that girl's crazy. It's me. I'm crazy. Um, and I, and I was like, that's wild. I haven't saying it was like clear. Like this girl was in front of me. We're like in these little like rows of folding chairs. There's maybe 30 people at CC's house. And we're we're doing this discipleship ministry school for like, like three weeks six days a week, every night. It was like a very intense thing. And this girl turns around, she's like, you have such a beautiful voice. And I start just weeping. I was like, I haven't sang in four months. Like I didn't even know that my voice could sound like my voice. And um, so I think that's kind of the start of where I had this, like, I've always kind of had like a gut thing that I'm like, oh, I think God's steering me this way. Like I graduated high school early, did a bunch of crazy stuff that normal people don't do because I knew I wanted to do music and I felt that momentum like you need to step into this now but I think it got heightened when I was filled with the Holy Spirit it just it's like everyone has access to that power because God is within you like he's and outside of you he's everywhere but you have that you carry the presence but it's like the difference in turning on a faucet or not so like you have your sink in your house and you can sometimes turn on the faucet, but if you just leave it running, it's like, it just flows, right? So being baptized in the Holy Spirit is basically that. It's like turning on the faucet. So and you it felt changed. it. You felt it. And can you keep it turned on? Like, do you struggle with it? Like in, in regular life, like falling into like, you know, like day Yeah. Day? I mean, I, you just, I just ask for it again. Like most days I wake up and I'm just like, Holy Spirit, more of you, like fill me up today. So I have something to give. And I think that's kind of the place where I try to operate from. So I go through this like crazy experience, spiritual experience, and I go back to the doctor three weeks later and my right polyp is gone. Like literally was miraculously healed. My doctor was like, had to like go back and look because it's only the second or third time I'd gone. Went back and looked and was like, no, like you definitely had one and you definitely don't now. 
So then they're like, let's put you in speech therapy. Whatever you're doing is working. We'll put you in speech therapy and we'll see if the other one goes away too. Put me in speech therapy. Nothing happens. And I'm like, well, like <laughs> it's because that was a miracle. Like God healed the other side. And I'm like, okay, well now I have to believe for something. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to like, just keep believing that God's going to heal my voice. Nothing happens. A year goes by and my doctor's like, okay, we should probably like, we'll put you in singing therapy for a few weeks. So you like can sing properly. And then we're going to do uh, surgery. And I'm like, okay. So they put me in singing therapy. And as soon as I start doing singing therapy, my polyp reduces 50%. So they're like, great, let's keep doing this. We'll push back surgery. Then it halts. I hit a plateau and nothing's happening. So six months go by and they're like, we need to schedule surgery. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we'll do that. And this is on like a middle of the week appointment. I go home and I'm living in a basement with one of my friends of this house. There's like six girls that live in this house. I share a room with someone else. And so this girl and I are just like, hanging out. We had some crazy stuff happen. That's a side note. I don't want to get down that hole, but we were in our basement worshiping because one of our roommates was insane. And so we're like listening to worship music. We're like pumping ourselves up because this girl like just got out of a cult and it's wild. So Parker, I'm like, this stuff up. Oh my God. yeah. The, and I, this is, I'm not someone who is like raised in this environment. So this is all like very strange. And I don't have experiences like this all the time. This was just a very weird period of time. And I'm I feel the Holy Spirit like I felt when I was, when I first experienced that. And so I'm like sitting on my floor weeping and I, I feel the presence of God so heavy that I lay down. I'm, so I'm laying on my back and I have this realization about my voice that like, I basically had made that instead of worshiping the giver, I was worshiping the gift and that it was like a generational thing in my family. My dad did music not like at a super high level, but like he always, he's still, if you ask him now, he would be like, I'm going to be a star. And he's like, not, it's, it's like a thing on his side of the family. Like they're all across the board. And, um, and I like had this moment where it's like, oh, I need to like free myself from this like family line thing of like needing something more than I need God. And wow. so I lay it down and I feel that tingly thing in my voice again. I go back to the doctor three days later and it's gone. The polyp is completely gone. They're like, well, I guess you can just go back to writing. And I'm like, just like that, you're just going to send me back into the world. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do a checkup in like four or five months and, and you're good to go. So that's when I started in that little four or five month period is when I started writing with Russell. And then my polyp came back. And then I had surgery and signed with Jeff and that whole thing happened, but it was wild. So anyway, through that whole thing, I started kind of cultivating this like knowingness and it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's like in like the depth of my being, I feel like this stirring, you know, kind of when you're like, oh, I need to say something to someone and you're like, I, I'm not going to do it. Oh, I need to do it. I'm not going to do it. I have that all the time. I walk into a writing session, I have a list of titles and I'll just sit there until something pops out and I'll sit there. And sometimes it's things I don't, I wasn't planning to bring to that artist or that whatever. And I get that thing where it's like, no, this is what you're writing today. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I was saving that for so-and-so. And it's like, no, this is what you're writing today. And that's, and every time I do that, it ends up being great. And it's this like, I don't know, it's just like knowingness. So I think cultivating that through like 
obviously being silent was really great. It's like you listen and you experience the presence of God in a different way. I think a lot of times people come to God with a list of requests and no one really sits in stillness and listens. It's like meditation. Like there's this book called Into the Silent Land that's about basically how monks like cultivate the presence of God through silence. And I, I was reading things like that and just really getting, cause I'm having this like spiritual renaissance in the middle of having to be completely silent. And I think that's really where I learned that, like how to, to hear God's voice. It's like tuning your little antenna to be able to be like, Oh, okay. Holy spirit speaking to me. This is what is coming next. Wow. So you can feel it. So do you ever, because we are in this entertainment industry and because there is always flashy things all around us and there's always someone doing the next best thing and, you know, there's always something shiny that someone else has, has going on. Do you ever get lost in the comparison game or do you, are you so sure of your, your, of, of God in you that you're able to stay that course? Because I like, I mean, I think it's both. I think it's human to be like, oh, they have that. I want that. But it doesn't feel, because I spent so much time wanting to do something that I was physically unable to do and went through the process of laying that down being like, if I never sing again, if I never speak again, that's okay. Like, that's totally fine. I know I thought I was going to do music, but like, if there's something that's going to bring God greater glory, then that's what I want to do. And if that's not music, totally okay. And so at, even when I feel those like comparison things, cause that's, I think everyone feels that to some level, like that's such a human thing. And it's not that I don't experience that cause I do. And sometimes it's really awful. I'm four in the Enneagram. So I'm always I'm like, four too. Black. I'm like, four is exhausting. I'm like, there's always, yes, there's always something that someone else has that I will never have. It's like a fatal flaw. But I think the difference now is my perspective is like, I feel that. And then I have to be like, okay, no, I have something that they don't have too. Like I have to remind myself to be satisfied with what's in front of me and what I have and trust that like, sometimes that envy thing is because the Holy Spirit is pulling you to something that maybe you will get later. And I have to remind myself of that too, is that like everything has a season and everything happens in the right time. And yours was such a great example of that. We wrote that nothing was happening for Russell at the time. And Blake Shelton was still happily married to Miranda Lambert and would have very easily cut a love song like that. We could have been pitching that song to a dozen artists that were ready for that. But it being the right thing at the right time for all of us was so much better and so much sweeter. Like we could have forced something to happen and pitched that song and something maybe would have happened with that. And that would have been great, but it wasn't ever going to be as great as the three of us celebrating our first number one together after all that we went through in the lifetime of that song. Like I really do believe that God's timing is perfect and it's also going to be way better. It's like, I could make a trade-off now and try to get what that person has when I feel that envy, or I could just kind of file that under like, okay, well, maybe I want that at some point. And like, God knows my heart. And if he gave me that desire, then he's going to find a way to do it. I was talking last night with someone about this, about how like your like dream can change shapes and still like fulfill in a different way. So like, I'm not, 
an artist like I was like, you know, aspiring to be in my late teens, early twenties were, you know, touring and doing all of that kind of stuff. That's not what my journey is, but there have been so many things that have fulfilled that artistic side of me and that performance side of me in a way that is so much more tailored to my heart. Like nothing gives me more joy than standing in the pit, watching Russell sing something that we wrote together and experiencing it, watching my friend experience the joy that he gets from performing in front of people me getting the joy of seeing all these people react to it and watching my friend react to it and I'm reacting to it and standing beside someone who has no idea that I did that and is talking to me about how much they love it. Like I have an experience as a songwriter that the artist will never have. And it's just as fulfilling to me, maybe even more because of the way that I'm wired. And God knew that he knew that I wasn't going to love doing a radio tour or waking up on a bus every single day of my life, or just be like, just being around people that much, honestly, like I'm not a super extroverted person. And so I think like trusting that, like, if I have a desire, like seeing someone have a bunch of hits or whatever, and that was like, I'm like, Oh, I want that. Or that they're doing this cool, what TV show they're doing this cool, whatever the thing is like, I'm still filing those things under like, I don't have to have exactly what they have, but maybe there's something about that, that God's preparing me for. And I need to find a way to be thankful and excited for that person because the gratitude of that is a magnet. That's going to pull me to what I want. If I'm thankful, genuinely thankful. So I have to find that place in myself and move all the crud aside and be like, okay, I, I don't need to be jealous of that. I'm holding a lot right now. Parker. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I received everything you just said. I'm also a four on the Enneagram. And I, I say all the time, like, and I'm, hopefully I'm not trying to offend you because I know you're a four, but like four is exhausting. Like, no, it's exhausting. Four is exhausting. I'm so tired all the time of my feelings and my emotions. And I'm like always in this depth of self and soul. And I want to know everything. Like the, the, the pain of the world, I feel it. Like Oh my gosh. All the abuse of power, I feel it. Everything that's wrong with the world, I feel it. But then oftentimes I just feel it and I just like hold it and it just like over whelms me and I just feel like sad and depressed. So it's like, I know now that I have to figure out, like you're saying, how to listen to the spirit, how to figure out where I can make moves that will better myself, my family, the people around me and my little sphere. Because if I can better that, then that is how I can contribute to the world and better the world because there's no way to take it all on. I mean, we just can't do it, but like we feel it so much. And it's not like Oh, like I feel this. And it's not like a No, it's like the negative. It's almost thing. debilitating sometimes yes. to feel it. But I think I've learned to kind of pick what I own out of what I feel. So like I can feel everything that's happening and that physically exhausts me sometimes. Like 2020, man, talk about a time to be alive as a four. Oh. God bless it. God, (laughs) there are days that I'm like, I'm fine, but I feel so heavy because the world is so heavy and I have to choose. That's me. I I just came out of a COVID depression. I just like, feel like I came out of a COVID depression, not because of me. Like my family's healthy. My life is great. I feel like I have wonderful things happening, but it's like the weight of what's happening in the world. I feel like I can't be happy. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, and you feel like a little bit like, because I like melancholy so much, I'm like, yeah, I want to lean into that. And I have to remind myself 
almost daily. Like my husband, God bless him. Only a saint can be married to a four, I think. What is he? Because it's such a roller coaster. He's a three with a two wing. So he's like, he's just, he's so compassionate too. Like, and very understanding of my, all my feelings. If two fours married each other, it would be a disaster. Oh my gosh. I don't know how, unless they were, they have to be so healthy and high functioning. I know. But it's just not, it, it'd be too much. (laughs) It's too much. Because it it would feed, it like multiplies the fourness. But I have to choose now what I am holding on to. So I have to be like, okay, the world is heavy. That can exist at the same time as me experiencing joy from the fruits of my labor. And I can live in a world where both of those things exist at the same time. And I can feel the depth of both. And I don't have to own in a way that it's mine, someone else's sadness, Mm, mm, which is hard mm. for me because I physically feel it. You know, like I look at, you know, if something happens with someone in my family or, you know, one of my close friends or whatever, I feel that like I'm walking through it. And that is debilitating sometimes. And I have to remind myself, I'm not walking through it. They are, and I can empathize with that. And I can have this moment where I'm like, wow, I feel everything that they feel. And that's a gift to be able to understand someone's pain like that and meet them there. But it's also a gift to be able to be like, no, I can choose to not wear that. I can wear what I'm wearing and I can help them. And it's like, you have to be intentional as a four to think about those things because it's like, it can get you, man. Like the well, world what, is crazy. What I've realized about myself, and I'm piggybacking on exactly what you're saying, is if there's a movie that's playing that I've seen, and there's a very traumatic part of the movie, and something mm-hmm. awful happens, like terrible, but yet the movie comes to an end, and it ends with redemption, and there's glory at the end or whatever, I will stay stuck in the trauma of that story. Like even if the finished picture has like something that pay a payoff that was a spiritual payoff or a lesson learned or turned into beauty or whatever. I will get stuck in the fact that that trauma existed and that person Mm -hmm. had to live through that. And even like hearing your story about your voice, like I could get stuck in the trauma of you, of the fear of you losing you're speaking and the, and the, and the agony of what it must be like to never sing again. This could be your dream. Like you never speak again, never sing again, but really you're the one experiencing it. And that's not your experience, but the experience I'm creating for you because I've heard your story and I'm feeling it and I don't want you to suffer. And I feel that pain. And all of a sudden I've created this pain, trauma, suffering story for you that now I'm living in, but it's actually not your experience. And that's what I'm realizing is like, I get so sad for the, for the trauma and the suffering, but that's not maybe the experience that person's having. Well, it's not because I'm making it up. It's a story I've made up. Well, yeah, but I think there is an element of like, there is trauma involved in things like that. And I think that like fours are wired that way. I think that's part of the heart of God is to meet someone where they are and to be like, yeah, sometimes it just sucks, you know, like that's just what it is. And I think like, with traumatic things, even if it ends up good on the other side, which usually it does, you know, like there's usually something good that comes out of it. It doesn't diminish that that thing existed. And I think that it's important, obviously not to dwell in it, but I think it's important that there are people that are in the world that are fours that do experience that where they're like, no, that was significant what happened to you. And that was really devastating and really hard. 
And yeah, like, right. I, I feel that for you. I think that that's not something to be ashamed of as a four. Like, I think all of those things can exist. Like, obviously I've told my story in a very like romanticized, glossy way, but like that sucked. That was hard as hell and isolating to not like be able to speak, to feel like you're sitting in a social situation and you can't say anything. You're just watching life happen in front of you and watching people connect on things. And you're just sitting there present, but not fully. And you're not participating. Like that was two and a half years of that. That sucked. What did it feel like to be kind of overlooked because because at that point you can't really talk so it's like I'm sure people are including you and you're a part of the of the experience but you're not a big contributor at that point because you can't really speak what is that like to have all this to say but not really be able to be heard I mean I think it I mean now I just talk all the time because I'm like <laughs> so thankful that I can participate it made me like appreciate being able to participate, but also I think it was really good for me to stop, to just be like, I think it taught me how to like read a room and as someone who's already like super empathetic and walks in and is like, those people got in a fight on the way here. Those people are, and no one's saying anything. I'm like, I can sense all of those things because Damn. I'm an empath. And it's, and that's really overwhelming, but there's something that's nice about people knowing that they can't talk to you and you just observing, like it took, it made social situations sometimes really stressful, but sometimes really fun. Cause I'm having this whole like observant thing that I'm just sitting back watching people engage. And it's, it's fascinating. It was, and it, it was like, I don't know. I think just overall, it was a really good thing. It was a really hard thing. And it made me like maybe more introverted than I was pre- vocal injury because I like to spend time alone. I actually require a lot of silence and a lot of time alone now, which I don't think I, that would have been the case had I not experienced that. But it was hard, man. Like there's not another way around that. It's like you're watching all of your friends hang out and you're there, but you're not there. You can't, like, I remember we were playing a card game with our friends and we had, it, we play this game called Nerds, which is like a pretty rowdy version of solitaire with partners. And like, it's like probably 15 of us playing this game and you're supposed to like, it's pretty silent for a little bit. Everyone's like kind of like saying things when they're like, ah, or whatever, like, but it, you don't have to say anything for the game until you win. And then you shout nerds. And I remember I was on vocal rest and I, and I got nerds and I was like nerds and I like couldn't say it loud. And Casey is sitting, standing next to me. Like I think Spencer and I were partners and then Casey and his wife were partners. And they were right. And Casey is, is the loudest person on planet earth. Like it, his voice is so resonant and he, I said it. And then, he, and I don't know if he heard me, no one really heard me. And he shouts nerds so loud. It like gave me adrenaline. Like it made me <laughs> feel like like someone like fired a gun or something it was so loud and I remember being like well now he won but I had it and I said it but no one can hear me like there's so many instances of like random things like that where it's like oh I'm like I'm not really like I'm here and I'm like kind of part of what's happening but I'm not really a part of what's happening but I think it was I don't know I think overall it ended up being a good thing for me just to be able to like observe and be okay with not being a part. Like I don't get FOMO at all anymore because my whole life was missing out for so long that like when people hang out without me, I'm like, 
that's fine. Like I would sometimes rather hang out by myself and it takes kind of the pressure off for me to like, I don't know. I think it helped a lot with that, like for like envy thing where it's like, mm-hmm. I have this like, and it also fed my foreness of no one understands me and yes. I'm like a loner. And I kind of, I hated and love that about myself that I like love being like, no one understands me and understandably so. Like that's not a like thing in my mind where I'm like, no one understands me. Literally no one understood me because I couldn't speak. <laughs> Parker, I relate to you on so many levels and it's so refreshing to talk to a four like you because you've done a lot of soul searching, a lot of work on yourself. And obviously you and I have different lives and different experiences, but I have also done a lot of work on myself and a lot of soul searching. And sometimes I feel like I fail miserably, like how I was talking to you about how I get stuck in the traumas. But I loved what you said that maybe the world needs people who actually can hear. Cause sometimes I get the envy where I see someone else who's sort of in the same kind of vibe as me, but I'm like, but they're crushing it. They're like, they're moving at a million miles a minute. They have all this stuff going on. They're able to multitask and do all these things at once. And I'm over here just like feeling this person's story. I can't shake it, you know? But I think that maybe that is a blessing. And hearing you say that, like gives me a little piece to think like, maybe that is just a gift that we have, that we can be the ones that can say, "I, I, I don't just feel, I don't just hear you. I actually see you to the core of what you're saying. And like, I validate it because it's real. I think that's like a four thing too. Like you're so good at being vulnerable. You specifically, I mean, fours usually are, but you are very open and vulnerable. And I think that's a superpower. Like you can look at people who are getting a bunch of shit done and whatever, but they can't do what you do. And, and what you're doing is opening people's hearts and their minds and, and progressing their lives in a way that like, just being productive isn't going to do, you know, like that, that actually changes someone's course when their heart is affected by something and their soul is touched by something that changes someone. It's nice. I really, it's nice to hear those things. Cause sometimes you, uh, me in particular, I get lost in, I just get, I don't know, you know, like you just don't, you don't see yourself. And like, I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Cause I feel it. Like I feel it to my core that like every time I have these conversations, like having this conversation with you today feels so good to my soul. Like it feels so fulfilling and so meant to be. And like, I'm, I'm so thankful to have it. I don't have any like thought that I want to be doing one other thing in the world than having this conversation with you. So like, I know what I'm doing is right, but just sometimes, you you know, you just don't see yourself, Yeah. but it's like, why do I even need to see myself? Like, I just want to get to that place where I can just be (laughs) and just follow the spirit. So, okay. Like, isn't that like the goal for everyone though? Like, I think that's the thing is that you want to be able to just be and not be outside of yourself, you know, thinking about whatever the thing is comparing to something else. And I think that's like, I mean, that just, it's a practice. It's not like a, maybe ever an arrival or something that you ever fully achieve. I think it's the practice of being present in yourself. And that starts with gratitude, with like grounding yourself in where you are, like the smallest thing. Like I'm so thankful that the sky is blue today and start like starting there. And then that focuses in on things. Like it starts getting deeper and deeper. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm really thankful that I live the life that I live, that I'm not living someone else's. And I'm thankful for them that they get to live their life too. And we can exist in the same space. Like, I think that's the, the practice for those things is learning how to get there. And obviously nobody gets that right. A hundred percent of the time, 
or even 50% of the time, probably like it's just, it's a hard thing, but I have to constantly remind myself of that when I see someone getting something I want or when I'm trying to get like lost in the drama of something, whether it's a TV show or a real person, you know? (laughs) Oh man. Okay. I could literally just talk to you for hours. I feel so thankful to like hear your perspective, especially as such a incredible four. I mean, not to just like (laughs) label ourselves as four, but it really is so nice to talk to someone else who like has a brain similar to mine, but I will wrap up because I've already taken an hour of your time. I'm so thankful to have this conversation, but before I end, I just kind of want to say, ask a question for someone who doesn't know someone listening, who doesn't even know how to start, who doesn't even know how to start hearing what the, what the spirit sounds like in their voice, doesn't even know how to start cultivating gratitude and start cultivating appreciation for maybe some of the harder things they've gone through to see that all that is working for them in the long run. How do you, what are some basic tips that you want to, that you would share with someone who's trying to live a more intentional life, who's trying to live by a a higher force guiding them, someone who doesn't even know where to begin, what would you tell them? Oh man, that's smart. Uh, (laughs) I think, I mean, for me, silence is where I kind of find my center again. I think our world is really noisy all the time, whether that's like Instagram or TV or whatever, or just like the world in general. So for me, it's always silence. So I think starting from a place, whether that's like meditation or praying or just stillness, like stilling your mind, there's this book called Into the Silent Land that is, it was like life changing for me to read about like basically the discipline of, of stillness. And it talks about how you sit and you have whatever you're like, some people do like a Jesus prayer or whatever. They'll have like a word or, or a very short phrase that they come back to. But basically the practice of sitting, closing your eyes and watching your thoughts without engaging with them. So like to meditate and have complete stillness is not the goal. It's to meditate and not engage with something. So like you'll sit in silence and your mind will inadvertently just wander to something, right? So you're sitting and you're like, oh, I wonder like what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight or whatever. And instead of engaging in a dialogue with that thought, you literally let that thought become a physical thing that you watch just pass. Mm. And then you sit in stillness again and you wait for the next. And so I don't know why that centers me so much, but it's kind of like a game for me to like, sit still and and not engage with my thoughts completely and kind of watch them you're just you become an observer of your thoughts which kind of helps you when you're trying to hear the holy spirit you get to know your thoughts because you're watching your squirrel brain do whatever it does and then you'll start finding something that's like oh this is deeper than that okay i can't engage with this one and so that's one thing also i just think like whatever your like spirituality is like engaging with that. So for me, that's Jesus. So the closer I am in my walk with God, the more that I can experience that. So it's like understanding what the voice of God sounds like is by reading my Bible. Like, what does he say? And then you start understanding the character of God. And then when you start having these like competing thoughts where you're like, was that me or was that the Holy Spirit? Then you really can sit with that and be like, I think that was the Holy Spirit. Oh, I think that was me. But nine times out of 10, you'll have a physical response. At least for me, it's like a deep knowing. It's not like a head thought. It's like in my core of my being, 
I, it came from there. And I don't know how to explain that other than it's a feeling. So I don't know if that is super helpful if you're like for someone who doesn't know what that feels like. But I think just being aware of your body when you're having thoughts too is I think like and I asking. Say, I always say like resistance. Every time I feel like massive resistance, like some say I want to do something or an opportunity comes along or I think this is a, something that I want in my life. If, if my body kind of like feels resistance or if it feels hard or heavy or if I feel like I'm pushing against something and it's me pushing, it's not this open flowing um, path and it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy like but if I feel like I'm trying to absolutely like manpower this thing through then I always know that that's that's me not God because yeah every that's time, a really great way to describe that every time anything has like really flowed into my life and been a really great fit for my soul like I haven't had to go like hunt it down I haven't had to go force my way into it it's it's not that it's not hard work, but it just, it has flowed into my life and I just have to like follow it, but it's hard. To I do think it's, it, it's like easy to, I don't know how to explain. It's the same thing as like leaving my deal with three ring where like, it wasn't a huge event where I was like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to do all this stuff. I literally had the thought like, this is not right. And it felt right to me. And I was like, no, I think this is what I'm going to do. And then I did it. It wasn't like this big, like ordeal ordeal. And same with signing with home team was kind of the same thing where it was like, as much as I wanted to honor what I had said to someone else, I knew like instantly, I don't, it's just this like knowingness. And I think following that and trusting yourself with those things. But I think also it's like, you kind of start to trust yourself through that stillness. It's like, I think giving yourself space to be like, oh, these kinds of thought patterns that I have are me. I need to like separate from that. And this is the voice of God. I don't know how to, it's like all of it's so like woo woo and it's different for everyone. Cause I feel like when God speaks, he speaks in the way that you want to hear. Mm -hmm. So it's like not in the things that you want to hear, but it's like, it's like a love language. Like how God speaks to me is how I listen to him. I'm sure he's tried to speak to me other ways, but the way that I hear him is the way that my ears work for that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that God will find a way to speak to you if you want him to speak to you. And I think like asking him to speak to you or asking like I do every morning, Holy Spirit, more of you, fill me up today. I think those things, like if you're asking actively for the presence, you will receive the presence. And also you're starting your intention saying, I'm asking and I'm looking, I'm asking for you and I'm looking yeah, for you. That's and so I, good. And so it's like, if, if we just start our day and we're like, Oh, Instagram. Oh my gosh. Comparison envy. I'm not enough. Oh my gosh. The rat race. I got to keep up. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. Like, I feel like all the things that the world can teach us to do coronavirus, death, dying, fear. Uh, if you start with all that, instead of saying I'm waking up with, more Holy Spirit, and then I'm looking for God in my life every day, then you see a different picture than if you wake up and just let all the world flood you. Yeah. Well, I think also it's like, it's progressive. Those things build on themselves. So like if you start by just every day waking up and being like, Holy Spirit, more of you. And then you start asking Holy Spirit other questions. Holy Spirit, show me who I actually am when I feel like I want to compare myself to someone else. Who am I and what makes me special? Why do you love me? Mm. And what are those things that are unique about me? 
Mm. And asking those kinds of things, I, I don't know. I think that kind of helps to like center it. And then you start getting used to it with small questions that are met with a response. You start getting used to that dialogue and then it's easy. I don't have to think when I'm like, oh, what is God saying to me? Like then this faucet is just turned on. And so I can hear if God's saying something to me, I can hear what that is. It's a lot easier because I'm used to hearing the voice of God speak to me. It's practice. So that's, and for everyone who's like, I don't have time for meditation. I don't understand meditation. Really, I feel like this act of silence and like figuring out God, it's not like God's going to come to you with some like loud, overpowering voice, but it's understanding what, what is, what, when you get those gut feelings and when it's a thought that's yours, that needs to pass by. That's like that book I was talking about. It's that they, they talk about the presence of God. We talk about it as something to be acquired but it's actually something within. So to hear the voice of God, it's not external. It's inside of you. And so the only place that you can hear that accurately is going within. You have to find the place inside of you where that presence is and tap into that to be able to hear it. So instead of being like, I need to acquire something, it's like, where are you inside of me right now? Mm. Man. Parker, this is great. I mean, I literally could just talk to you forever, but I'll wrap up with my Same. last question. Thank you. I feel like, I'm like, your listeners are going to be like, this girl's so woo-woo. What's no, she doing? No. To me, everything you're saying, I'm like, oh, I just need to listen to this podcast every day for myself. Like, I need to listen to this every day because I'm like, this is really, for my particular brain, what you're saying resonates so much. And I feel like a lot of people it'll resonate with too, but like, I'm like, oh, I hear you. I'm receiving this. And this is very helpful information. I always wrap up with leave your light. What do you want people to know? I want people to know that like hearing the voice of God is for everyone. And I think that like you having like a unique story to tell is like part of, of that. Like you experience God in a different way than I do. And you need to share that however that is. So whether that's like your job as a banker and every time you like interact with a client, you are you know, engaging with them in a way that is sharing a piece of the presence that you carry or me as a songwriter, sharing a piece of the presence I carry in everything I write or you as a podcast host and talk all the things that you do. You have so many different hats you wear, but that's you sharing a piece of how you experience God and that it, when we all are doing that, then that's what brings the kingdom of God to earth. It's like we're carrying pieces of the kingdom and different pieces of his character. So I think the takeaway would be that everyone can hear God speak and everyone has a unique story. So it's like the non-comparison thing. Gosh, that really makes me teary, Parker. That's so beautifully put that we all have a piece of the kingdom and when we all access God in our hearts and express it in a way that we feel like we can, that's how you bring the kingdom of God to earth. Dang, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Oh, that's so nice. That was <laughs> well, so I hope that's awesome. the takeaway. That was really awesome. And so then we don't need to compare because we all were given a different piece of the puzzle to make it we're, complete. Yes, that's exactly. And I have to remind myself, that was during my vocal rest. That was one of the things that I learned. I read this book um, called When Heaven Invades Earth. It's a Bill Johnson book. I think it was in that book where he was talking about um, how we're like little embassies of the kingdom. So everywhere you step is the kingdom. So it'd be like when you go to Germany, the USA embassy is still 
United States territory, technically. So if you think of yourself as a little embassy and you are a kingdom, you stand in kingdom territory, anything is possible, miracles are possible, your wildest dream is possible, everywhere you step, you're bringing that with you. So if someone is stepping next to you and they're in your space, they're standing in kingdom territory and you're bringing that with you everywhere you go. It's empowering to think, wow, like God gave me a gift and I'm bringing part of the kingdom everywhere I go. What a thing. Like, it's wow. so cool that God allows us to, to share in that experience together and experience him through other people that way. And he doesn't force it on us. So we have to be quiet and aware enough to know that we have it already. No matter yeah. what your circumstances are, no matter how your life has played out, no matter how unlucky you may have felt that you are, you really, it's all, you are, we all have a piece of this kingdom. We're all here for a divine purpose. When all of the things that are bad, like there, I was thinking about this the other day, I was walking on the beach and this is going to be such a like Pinterest mom thing to say, but you know, that quote, no grit, no pearl. I was thinking about all of these difficult things. I was being a classic for just like dwelling in my trauma. And, and I felt like Holy Spirit was like, stop, no grit, no pearl. Like I'm not going to waste something that's an irritant in your life for it to be nothing there. You're going to have all these beautiful pearls. Some will be big and different colors and some will be little and whatever. And, and those are things that like I've allowed you to go through and you're the one that's making the pearl out of that we're coming together and you have this irritant that's come into your little shell into your little world. And, and with me, we're going to make this a pearl and it's going to be great at the end. And so it gives a lot of hope. Like when I think about like, things that are really hopeless. Like there's a lot of shit things that have happened this year. A lot of great things have happened for me too. But when I think about those things, I think, wow, God allows me to like choose how I want to walk through that. And it doesn't mean that it's not hard and I don't cry about it and I'm not upset about it and have days I don't want to get out of bed. But it also means that all of those things are going to work towards something that's good. This is so good for my soul. Parker, this was, thank you so much for asking me, man. You came, you came to me like a beam of light. I literally was like, I need to have Parker on my podcast. It literally, like it just dawned on me. Like I woke up and I was like, I have to ask you to be on my podcast. And I, I'm so happy that you came on. I just knew I wanted to talk to you and I did not even know it was going to be this powerful. Like I knew it was going to be amazing, but like, this is amazing. This is awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. This is so fun. I never get to talk talk about these things besides with Spencer usually and <laughs> well, he's shoot. like okay now I might actually be texting you all the time I'm, you're gonna be like uh, delete my number please delete my number no I love it <laughs> I, this is my favorite thing to talk about I love talking about all the spiritual things and life so thank you so much for asking me to do this and asking me about my story and listening and all the great things well, back at you thank you for sharing and you are just a huge bright light to this world and I'm thankful to know you and thank you for coming on Thanks. Okay, bye. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.